Mason Gore, and I'm your pastor and director of adult ministry here at Hope Community Church. And you're hearing from me this morning uh, for a few different reasons, okay? Uh, number one, uh, you're hearing from me because you saw in the bumper what we're talking about is this idea of what does it mean to connect intentionally. And the idea of healthy relationships is something that's really important to me in my life. You're also hearing me from me for another couple of reasons, and it's this. Neither Pastor Mike nor Pastor Donnie ever want to follow Brian Cheney after he teaches. That's the truth. And if you are here last week, you heard Brian. I mean, number one, he's an incredibly dynamic communicator, so that's in there. But secondly, I mean, let's be honest. Did, did you see that guy's hair last weekend? I mean, seriously, look at this guy. I mean, Brian just looks good. And Pastor Mike and Donnie, they didn't start losing their hair until a little bit later in life. And, and I went bald when I was seven years old. And so it's not a big thing for me to be up here sharing with you. So we're in week three of our series hashtag winning. And so the idea is what does it mean to win in life and how do we win in life as followers of Jesus? In the first week, Pastor Donnie set us up really well and saying in life, it's easy to be a fan of Jesus, but it's not so easy to be a follower of Jesus. But if we're going to win in life, if we're going to experience the life that we were created to experience, we're going to have to follow Jesus, but it's probably going to cost us something. And he set us up to go into a five-week series where we take a look very closely at, at characteristics of those who are winning in life, who are growing in their relationship with Jesus. And last week, Brian kicked us off by taking a look at that first characteristic and said that those who are going to experience the life that Jesus came to set in motion for us, we're going to have to live obediently by knowing Jesus, his word, and remaining in him. So if we're going to experience this abundant life that Jesus says he came to set in motion, we're going to have to know what God's word says about us and the life that we're called into, and we're going to have to live our lives that way. And this week, we're just going to build on that, taking a look at the foundational truth uh, that in our lives, we're created to have healthy relationships. And for us to experience a, a winning life, we have to first connect intentionally with others in community. And so I'm going to start out just by telling you a story. My wife, Diana, and I, uh, if you don't know, we've been married for about 13 years. We just celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. And you can see a picture of us over here on the screen. Look at that group right there. So what you have, there's three amazing children uh, and an incredible wife and a redneck country boy right there in the middle that you get to hear from uh, for the next half hour. So check this out. That's us now. 13 years ago, we were newlyweds. We had just gotten back from our honeymoon. It was our first week back in town. I was leaving to go to work. And Diana told me before I left, she said, sweetheart, I'm going to make you dinner today. So when you come home, everything will be ready. Gosh, that sounds great, sweetheart. So I go to work. I skip lunch. I skip my afternoon snack. I'm coming home a little bit later than I probably should have been. I get home uh, to our modest 650 square foot condo. I pull up. I go up to the third floor. I open the door and the house smells amazing. And I walk in and I do what you do in a 650 square foot condo. I walked in the front door and then I stepped in the bedroom and changed clothes. And then I stepped back out and I sat on the couch. And uh, I sat on the couch because there wasn't really enough room in the house for a dining room table. And even if there was, we probably didn't have enough money at that point uh, to buy one. And then I look over into the kitchen area and I can't really see what she's got going on because there's this like kitchen bar thing there that's not really big enough to sit at, but truthfully, it's kind of there to say, hey, look, there's a difference in the space between the living room and the kitchen, but there's really not. I mean, they're kind of the same room. And so she comes around this thing, and in her hand, she has two bowls. She sits beside me on the couch, and she gives me a bowl. And in this bowl was the most beautiful stuffed green pepper that you've ever seen in your entire life. And I thought to myself, my God has shown me favor. She even makes appetizers. So you guys are smarter than I was. You already get where this is going. 
And so we talk and we eat and we talk and we eat and then we talk and we talk and we talk. And I'm not eating anymore because I've consumed the food that was in this bowl. And we talk some more. And then finally, I just say, hey, sweetheart, uh, so what are we going to have for dinner tonight? I could tell by the countenance on her face that the words I had said were probably improper. It wasn't the right thing to say. So she told me that what was in the bowl actually was our dinner for that night, which then led to a discussion uh, about our differing opinions on how much food was appropriate to prepare and to consume in one meal. That night, though, I do want you to know, that was actually one of the best nights of our marriage. It was an endearing night that we still tell people about to this day. And it's not because we were like off the coast somewhere in some mansion on the beach. It's not because she prepared the best meal. Though what she prepared was delicious. It just wasn't a lot. And it's certainly not that I responded in the most appropriate way. But it's that she was intentional in preparing food for us and saying, hey, we're going to get together tonight for dinner. And we actually spent time together connecting Intentionally, And we get this in, in our families, right? Holidays, Christmas time, what do we do? We travel from all over the place to spend time together. And it's not for the food, right? Because we have the same thing every single year. The turkey's a little bit dry. It's certainly not because our families always get along, right? I mean, in my family, there's a little bit of crazy going on. In your family, there's probably a little bit of crazy going on. If you don't think there's a little bit of crazy going on in the family, you are the little bit of crazy. So just uh, a heads up on that. Uh, I wrestled in college, okay, at NC State, two, three, four, five years with the same group of guys, starving ourselves and fighting each other every day. That's not a thing that people wake up and say, you know what I want to do? I want to starve myself and I want to fight with people every day of my life. People don't do that. But because we had a common goal and because we were in that together, we experienced something in life and an excitement and a joy that most people don't ever get a chance to experience. Even when times are difficult, if you have people in your life, things are better. Now we get that, right? We know that we normally thrive when we're in community, but for some reason, we're kind of prone to shy away from it a little bit. Just by a show of hands here, how many of you in here would say that you are an extrovert? Okay, some of you hands go up super fast. How many of you would say that you're an introvert? And then those hands that didn't go up, you're introverts too. That's how that works. You're like, I'm not raising my hand just because somebody in a big room told me to do it. I don't care. That's fine. I get it. You can have your space. Uh, How about this? How many of you would be willing to admit you just like time by yourself sometimes? And then how many of you would say, when I want to get something done, I just want to be by myself so nobody else messes things up? Yeah, I mean, we get that. That's normal life. That's everyday life. But... We know that there's something about connecting with other people, but for some reason as a society, you can tell that we're shying away from it. You look at housing right now in North America. Houses are getting bigger and bigger. Front porches are getting smaller and smaller. We're starting to get more inwardly focused. Social media, okay, we're more plugged in than we've ever been, but we're not connected. I'm not one of these guys that says social media is not real community. It's not real. It is a type of connecting, okay? It is a real thing. But what I, what, I want to, what I want to say is it's not the best type of community. It's not the abundant life community that, that Brian talked about last week. Like if it's my wife's birthday and you say, so what'd you do for your wife? I sent her a message on Facebook. You say, That's not good. There's just more to community than connecting with people online. Depression is higher than ever. Social anxiety is higher than ever. We're, ha- we're having to take tons of medication just to be able to cope with each other in public. We are murdering each other right now. And we have no idea how to come together. And if you watch the news, it seems as though the salvation for our country when it comes to community is this game called Pokemon Go. 
I mean, seriously, when chasing around mythological Japanese creatures is gonna be your salvation, we have a problem. Donnie Peters sent me this tweet uh, a couple weeks ago uh, by this guy, not Kenny Rogers. It says, just saw a guy staring at his phone playing Pokemon Go, run into a girl posing like a duck taking a selfie. We're getting close. Like the end is near when this stuff is happening and nobody's paying any attention to it. So we intuitively get, there's something about us that thrives in community but we're more disconnected than we've ever been. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take a look at how we got here. We're gonna take a look at how Jesus showed up on the scene to help restore things. And then we're gonna look at some practical application that will allow us to go out of here and to connect intentionally with people uh, the way that we were created. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. Uh, We're gonna spend some time in Genesis chapter one. So Genesis chapter one, verse 26. If you don't know where that is in your Bible, just open it up. It's like the first book up there. You should be able to find it easily. If you don't have a Bible, you can track along with us. We'll have the verses on the side screens. Or if you wanna download the Get Hope app, we've got a message notes section in there that we'd love for you to follow along with us. Now, the book of Genesis, uh, if you don't know, it basically starts off giving us a a creation account. So it starts off before man and woman are even on the scene. And then it moves through and kind of helps to see how we were created to live and interact with each other and God. And then by the third and fourth chapter, you're seeing things fall apart pretty quickly. But for our purposes, we're gonna start out just looking at Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so if you pay close attention, what you see there is, is, it says, and God singular said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image after our, just plural, Likeness. Now, I don't want to get into a deep theological conversation here, nor am I smart enough to do that. But but what most theologians would tell you is this is the Bible introducing for the first time the idea of the Trinity. If you have no idea what the Trinity means, that's 100% okay. Uh, Here's what you need to know. As Christians, we have this foundational belief that God is, is one God represented in three persons. So you have God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit. And what you need to know about that Trinity, about that God, is that it has existed that way in eternity past and forever past in perfect unity together, perfect sacrifice, perfect love, perfect community for eternity past. Now, this is that God saying, very simply, let us make man like us. So if that's true, it's reasonable to conclude that if we're made in that image, that we have something inside of us that tells us at a minimum, we just have a simple desire for, but most likely like a true biological makeup to need and to thrive with other people in our lives in community. That's what the Bible says. It's foundational to who we are as creation. Now, that's what the Bible says. If you have a difficult time believing what the Bible says, you can look to science. Uh, Most of you probably remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, We've got a picture of it just to show you over here. But basically what it says is all humans have different levels of needs, but it's really built like a pyramid and it starts on the bottom and your needs on the bottom are more important than the needs on the top. They're more foundational. So it starts at the bottom, physiological needs, basic needs, food and water, then a need for safety. And then just after that is a need to belong, to love and to be loved. And then up at the top, self-actualization. So that's like, hey, I have my dream job. I'm doing what it was that I'm created to do. But what this is saying, if you believe this, is saying is just after our basic need for food and water and our need to not be drowning, 
is a need to belong to other people, to have other people in our lives that we love and that love us. And so it's saying, even if you have your dream job, even if you're a millionaire, but you don't have food and water, that's actually more important to you in the moment. And in the same way, even if you have your dream job and you're a millionaire, if you don't have people in your life of which you belong to, where you're loved and that you can love them, there's going to be an emptiness in your life. And a lot of you are sitting here right now and you're like, yeah, I get that. I've been there before in life or maybe you're in that place right now. But this need, but you see this, whether you look at the Bible, you look at science, we have this thing inside of us, that felt need to be in community with other people that we talked about at the beginning. That's a real thing and we were created that way. So what went wrong? You know, if we were created this way, obviously you look at the news now and we're disconnected. Here's what the Bible says. If you just move forward over the next two chapters in Genesis, going super fast, you see that God created us to have this perfect relationship with him and to have this perfect relationship with each other. What happened was at some point over the next two chapters, man made a decision to stop trusting God. And you remember what Brian said last week? If we're gonna experience this abundant life, we have to be willing to place our trust in God and what he calls us into. Well, they stopped doing that. And what the text literally says is that they became shameful, they experienced shame, they hid, and they started blaming each other. And I'll just ask you this, do you see anywhere in the media right now where it seems like people are blaming each other? I mean, you've got the political race going on, you've got people that are shooting each other. And then how about this? Are there any of you that would be willing to admit that you're at a place in life where you feel shame? Or you know someone that's experiencing shame. I would love to connect with other people. I'd love to have more friends. But, but what if I'm not good enough? What if they're better than me? What if their job is better? What if they have more money? What if their kids behave better than my kids behave? We weren't created to walk around being worried about things like that. I deal with this with small group leaders on a regular basis. They say, I, I want to have people over to my house, but I know I need to clean up, which is a good. That's a good idea to be hospitable. Uh, we have one of our small group area pastors say, listen, my wife is this way, but to an extreme. It's kind of over the top. And I, I won't say his name because I don't want John Miller's wife to know he was talking about her. <laughs> but he said, she's like over the top. Like she's not like people are coming over. We got to clean. It's like people are coming over for small group quick. We got to paint. If that's you, man, we, that is too much. We have counselors on hand at every campus. We want to talk to you if that's you. But we were made for community. We started not trusting God. And that's led us to be disconnected. The good news is God didn't leave us there, okay? He had a plan when he created us. He put a plan in place to draw us back to that. It's a church service, okay? So big surprise, the answer is Jesus. What we're going to do, though, uh, for the rest of our time is we're going to look at how Jesus came to restore this stuff. Not just that he did, but how he did it because we think there's something in how he went about doing this that we could actually apply to our own lives. So uh, check this out. You might wanna write this down. This is just kind of cool stuff to me. I'm a little bit of a nerd, but there's four times in the New Testament where it talks about why the son of man, which is Jesus, why he came or what he came to do or how he came to do it. There's four. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, and you heard Brian talk about this last week, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 20, 28. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. You'll hear a little bit more about that next week. And then Luke 7, verse 34. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say here is a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, 
and sinners. Now, what's cool is the first three talk about what Jesus came to do or why he even came. So if you see those up on the screen, uh, that, that we, he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's what he came to do. But that last one, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So if the ones on the top are why he came and what he came to do, the one on the bottom is how he came to do those things. And I think we've got to pay close attention to that because Jesus could have come and done anything that he wanted to do. He could have come down and brought an army of angels with swords and killed everyone that he wanted to kill. He could have come down and snapped his fingers and just changed everyone's perspective. He could have come down here and grabbed up the good people, whatever that means, and then taken them back up to heaven, but he didn't. Best we could tell, Jesus came and he hung out with people. He connected with people. He built community. And then in that community, he showed how he loved people. And then from there, he encouraged them and he taught them who, who it was that God says they were and how they were to live their lives. That's what Jesus did. It was very simple. That's how he came to do those other things that you saw. There's a book called uh, A Meal with Jesus written by a guy named Tim Chester. In it, he says, the book of Luke, if you pay close attention, it seems like Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, leaving a meal, or telling a story about a meal throughout the whole book. Jesus came to do some pretty big things. And, but his strategy was to connect with people, to build community and love them. And you know why he did that? He did that because he knows how we were made. He knows what's gonna be connecting with us in our lives. Remember, he was there when he made us. So he knows what's foundational uh, to us. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we were created for community. We messed it up. Jesus came and showed us how to do it. What we wanna do is just give us some practical application that we can apply to our lives as we head out of here. So I'm gonna give you two things to do. I'm gonna explain them and then we'll get out of here. One, we need to connect intentionally in community with those who are close to God. Secondly, we need to connect intentionally in community with those who are far from God. Now, if you're sharp, you'll say, wait a minute, did you just tell me we're supposed to connect with people close to God? And far? I absolutely did. We'll explain both. We should connect intentionally with those who are close to God. Our mission as a church, we should, we're called to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Foundational to how we're made, that cannot happen in our lives unless we have healthy relationships around us. Unless you have other people in your life, you can't be loved. Unless you have other people in your life, you don't have other people to love. And so this is saying we need people in our lives to encourage us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we need to have people in our lives that we are also encouraging to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. There's this illustration of logs in a bonfire, right? Like if you're building a bonfire, what do you do? You stack the logs on top of each other. You lean them in together because they're gonna burn more brightly. It's gonna be a strong fire. But what happens if you spread the logs out? Eventually the fire goes out. But in the morning, if you wanna wake up and you wanna stir the fire back up, you just put the logs back together. Maybe you throw another log on and it just lights back up. That's how we are as followers of Jesus. We need other people around us in our lives to encourage us in these things. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So uh, the writer of Hebrews, he got this. What he understood was in our lives, this is going to be difficult. What Donnie said in week one, what Brian said last week, this is gonna be hard. So we need to have other people around us. We need to connect with other people just like Jesus did for the opportunity to share what's going on in our lives 
and encourage one another. That's what we need. Uh, one other illustration here. How many of you know what this is? Can you see that? Can you see that? You know what that is? It's a cow tongue. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That is super weird. Pastor's got a cow tongue on stage. What's going on right now? Uh, let me ask you a question. If you're driving down the side of the road and you see a cow, do you think that's weird? You don't. And it's got a tongue in its mouth, but you don't say it's weird. In fact, you probably turn around to your little kid in the back seat and say, look, it's a moo cow. What sounds a cow make? Moo. That's cute, right? You, why is this weird? Because it's disconnected. Because it's not a part of the cow. I mean, listen, something has gone horribly wrong for the cow, for this tongue to be right here and not in the mouth. But yet as Christians, we walk around like this tongue, acting like everything's okay, playing Pokemon Go, and everything is not okay. This is wrong. We are not, yeah. Experiencing growth in our relationship with Jesus, winning at life, it only happens when we're connected with others uh, in, in community who are close to God. We try to program this for you as a church, okay? We have, uh, what we talk about is our primary growth environment. So we have small groups uh, where we wanna get people together in their neighborhood so they can talk about the message and encourage each other, maybe serve their neighbors. We wanna get you a ministry teams, you know, maybe First Impressions, Kid City Tech. We have Global Hope, Mission Teams, we have Local Hope. But those are not ends in and of themselves, okay? We just wanna get you in those environments so we can equip you and teach you so that you can actually go out and live those things out in your everyday life, okay? But here's what I want you to know. Here's why we wanna do that. Any of you in here who have kids, one day your children are gonna grow up a bit and your voice is not going to be the primary voice that they listen to in their lives any longer. And some of you are saying, yeah, they came out of the womb and I don't know what happened. That's a real thing. But in that moment, what you're gonna wish is that you had other people in your life that your kids have seen and that they trust and that they respect. And you can have confidence that those people are gonna encourage your children in the ways in which you would encourage your kids. If you don't have kids, at some point in your life, the bottom's gonna fall out. Wheels are gonna fall off. Pastor Mike says all the time, it seems like in life you're either heading into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're heading out of a storm. Wouldn't it be great if in that moment, in the middle of a storm, but before you got there, wouldn't it be great as you sit here right now that you already knew who those people were going to be in your life that were gonna come around you and support you and love you? Wouldn't there be peace in that? My wife and I, our family, we've been very, very fortunate uh, our entire life. We actually have a great family. I have a great brother and his wife. They're fantastic. She has a great brother and a great sister. So we have folks naturally in our lives and we have a pretty good family that way. God's also been gracious that we've also had other people in our lives to come alongside of us. About a decade ago, we planted a church out of hope and there was another family that we kind of planted that church with and uh, we were very, very close for about six years. We were involved in each other's lives. We loved each other's families well. We served the neighborhood together. We encouraged each other. Uh, then we came back to hope. And a couple years ago, we realized it was another family that we were spending some time with, and our kids just got along great. And we realized in life, it seems like we're chasing after the same stuff. We want to raise kids that when they get older, they're going to recklessly chase after whatever it is that Jesus calls them into. So we said, why, why don't we just get intentional about this and our time together and what we're working towards? They actually bought a house in our neighborhood. So we live here, there's a pond here, and they bought this house over here. Our kids play together all the time. We hear our kids talking about Jesus together. So as a parent, that's really cool. We help each other build stuff in each other's houses. So even if you're not into the church thing right now, you get the idea that many hands make light work. There's just something valuable about having other people in your life that are working towards the same things. 
We call each other out when we're acting stupid in life. I mean, it's just true. I, I mean, we say things like, hey, listen, I, I, heard, I hear what you're saying. Sounds like you're pretty frustrated, but I don't know if that's a joyful attitude that you've got there, if that's gonna help anybody else around you. And I say, I don't know if I really want you in my business right now. <laughs> I don't really say that. That's what I wanna say. I can't tell you, we confess sin. I can't tell you the number of times over the last couple of years that I've actually had to go on a group text or wait to the next time and said, hey guys, you're over here and I handle myself poorly. I just wanna let you know I shouldn't have done that. I recognize that. But you know what that does? When you connect intentionally in community with other people who are close to God, it takes away your ability to hide. It takes away your ability to pretend like you're somebody you're not. It takes away your, your ability to pretend like you're perfect. Not that anyone would mistake that uh, about our lives. But you remember what happened in the garden in Genesis when that lack of, when they began not trusting God, what happened? And it says they were ashamed and they hid. Because you actually weren't created to hide in your life. Hiding was not a part of the original plan. You having to carry this thing about yourself and act like you're somebody you're not, that's not a part of God's original plan for your life. And when you have other people around you in your life and you're connected with them in community, you actually lose the ability to do that and it leads to health. And not to mention when I confess that sin, you know what it does to them? One, it gives them an opportunity to show me grace. So I get to experience grace in a tangible way. And then they recognize, hey, when I drop the ball on something, now it's that much easier for me to confess sin as well. So this is a real thing. It adds life and it adds value to our lives. We need to have other people in our lives. We need to connect intentionally in community with those who are close to God. We also need to connect intentionally in community with those who are far from God. Remember at the beginning, again, uh, when the trust broke, when we stopped trusting God, separation occurred in our relationship with God and with each other. The truth is, if you read the Bible, there's absolutely nothing that we could do on our own to bridge that relationship back together. Nothing we could have done. And so in that moment, in that separation, Jesus looked at the Father, God gave him the nod, and Jesus came down. He left the comforts of heaven and came down here with us to connect intentionally, to make right that which we can never fix. Okay, that's a large part of the gospel and we're called into doing the same thing for those around us. So part of the time while Jesus was here, uh, here's what happened. He was talking to a group of people and someone asked him, Jesus, what's the most important part? What's the most important element of our faith? Okay, so Jesus says, yeah, that's easy. You should love God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so then someone says, okay, Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Wants to get real specific, wants to justify himself. So Jesus tells a story, which many of us may know is the Good Samaritan. And so I'm gonna paraphrase that story. Jesus says, uh, let me tell you a story. There's this guy uh, and he gets beat up and robbed and he essentially is left on the side of the road for dead. And then uh, three people walk by. And if he was telling the, the, the story to an audience like this, to a group of Christians, it would probably go like this. Uh, a pastor walks by and doesn't do anything. Okay, a worship leader walks by in skinny jeans, doesn't do anything. Sorry. And then maybe a small group leader walks by, doesn't do anything, leaves the person there. And then Jesus says, but a Samaritan walks by. And in Jesus' day, uh, the Samaritan, there were strong racial prejudices against Samaritans. So uh, maybe you watch the news, media, whatever, the, whatever that other is right now in your life. And hopefully it's nothing, but, but Jesus really uses this to drive the point home. That person walks by, he picks them up, he dusts them off, gives them some food, takes them to a hotel, 
makes them to an end, gives the innkeeper his credit card and says, listen, I'm gonna be gone for a few days, but I want you to take care of him while I'm gone. I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna make sure the bill is taken care of, but I want, to make sure, I want you to make sure that everything is okay. And then Jesus asked, Jesus asked the question, who then was a neighbor to this man? And so he kind of turns the tables. Instead of saying, instead of addressing the question, who is my neighbor? He says, hey, listen, your neighbor is anyone in your life who needs a good neighbor. So instead, ask this question. Who in my life right now is in need of a good neighbor? But hope. We talk about our neighbors as being people in our lives where we live, work, and play. And the way our culture is set up, the way society is set up right now, the global society, you might know of a need in Uganda or Haiti or Nicaragua. That might be your neighbor that you have an ability to meet their need. So it might not be your literal neighbor, but it might be your literal neighbor. And uh, I just want to say this to you as a pastor, if if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not connecting intentionally with your neighbor just so you would have the opportunity to love them right where they are just as God would, not expecting anything in return, if you're not doing that, you should have a very good reason why. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a good reason why. I'm just saying that you should have a very good reason why. Now you, I know the excuses, okay, I, I get it. Say, listen, I don't know these people. I know they have needs, but what if I don't have it? They don't, they don't even know God. What if I don't have anything in common with them? That's why it's important to look at how Jesus came, okay? Because the text said that the son of man came eating and drinking. I'm just gonna tell you a little secret about your neighbors and I don't even know them. There's a really good chance that just about every day they eat or drink something. You have that in common. Super low bar thing to say, hey, I'd love to just have you over for a meal sometime. I'd love to feed you. Maybe that's too much. How about just start with introducing yourself? Maybe you drop off brownies, but do something and be intentional. Maybe you say, yeah, I know, but they're strangers. I have no idea who they are. They're gonna be strangers until you connect intentionally with them. But did you know this? Did you know that the Bible actually says that we were strangers from God before we knew Jesus? It, it literally says that we were strangers from God with no hope. Hebrews chapter 13, verse one, it says, let the love of the brethren continue. So continue to love each other well. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. I don't even know what the last half of that verse means. It sounds cool. I don't know what it means. I do know though what hospitality means in its original language, what that word hospitality really meant was stranger love. It's a literal love for strangers. It's the complete opposite of what we learned as a kid, right? Stranger danger, it's not that. It's the opposite. It's you need to recognize there are people in your life that are different from you, you know nothing about, and you need to be intentional in how you love them. First Peter 4, 9, it says, show hospitality to one another without complaint. It's all throughout the Bible in our call to love people who are different than we are. There's this book, it's called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, I wish I could get every small group leader, I wish I could get every person who calls Hope Community Church at home to read this book. The premise of the book's real simple. There's two pastors, they go to a mayor and they ask the mayor, what's the, one of the best ways that we as the church can serve the city? The mayor says, well, um, you know, I've heard that you guys as a church are really good at meeting each other's needs. The 
pastor said, yeah, well, I mean, we, we try to do that. He said, no, I mean, I, like really good. Like I've heard that when people are sick, you guys like take them food and make sure their family is cared for. I've even heard that it was like a family, they were about to lose their house and people in your church actually sold things to help them pay their bills so they could keep their house. Is that true? Is that your church? And the pastor kind of, you know, chest out, head up a little bit. Yes, sir, that's our church. We do stuff like that. So the mayor says to them, maybe if you could somehow encourage your church to do those types of things for the people around like where they live, maybe in their neighborhoods, in the communities where they live. So then afterwards, the pastors kind of huddle up together, you know, and one of them says, hey, I, I think he just told us to love our neighbors as ourselves." And the other one kind of said, yeah, yeah, do you think he's Jesus? Because <laughs> that's what Jesus told us to do. And so they did it. They went back to their church and they said, here's our strategic plan for the next two years. We just want you all to do the best you can do to find out the needs of your neighbors and just go meet the neighbors. The book is crazy with the stories they tell. I mean, it's things like the next winter when when snow came, the city didn't get one call that they needed to come and clear sidewalks because the church just went out and was the church and interacted and loved people the way that they're called to. Now, I tell you what, you guys should get the book. It's packed with illustrations. There's, a, there's a, an illustration like this in the book or an exercise that's super simple. It says this house in the middle, you just write uh, your name there in the center house. And then you just go around that box there and write the names of your neighbors who live around you. And then it's just really practical. If you don't know the name of the neighbor in that house, just go over and introduce yourself. And then if you've introduced yourself before, you know who the neighbor is, and the next step is like take them some brownies or do something for them. But super practical stuff. But listen, I wanna tell you, there's an element to this, and I'll just confess this, as a pastor in a large church who's in some way responsible for systems and structures and making sure there's programs for people to get into, there's an element of this that doesn't fit into a sermon or a strategic plan. You realize when you go through this, uh, man, sometimes you just need the church, which is like all of us, You say, can we just be like Jesus? Can we just go and do what Jesus did? Like, yeah, we have small groups, we have ministry teams, but can we just go out like and eat and drink with people and love people and find out what their needs are and then meet their needs? I mean, don't you think that would be a pretty good way to reach the triangle? And as I'm thinking through this, and I don't wanna get political, but I think back over the last few weeks and there's been a lot, a lot of terrible things going on in the news. And, uh, and I wonder how many of us in this room have actually taken an opportunity to reach out and to connect with somebody who's different. Maybe you just pick up the phone and, and send a text or, or call and say, hey, I just, you know, there's terrible stuff going on. I just wanna see if you're impacted. I wanna see how you're doing. I, I, maybe we should get together, maybe somewhere in public and just show people that it is okay and that some people can get along even though we might have some differences uh, on the outside. You know, I want you to know you should be proud of your church leadership. This past week at the Raleigh campus in the Fireside Room, we had African-American pastors and Caucasian pastors from the community together, African-American representatives from the Raleigh Police Department, the Cary Police Department, the Durham Police Department, the Howie Patrol and community leaders all together in one room. Not to say, man, we're gonna hit a home run and we're gonna figure this thing out, but to say, man, if we as the church who have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ don't come together and connect intentionally and find ways that we can better love each other, we don't have a chance at living this out for the world. As the church, we have a responsibility to connect intentionally. 
We can't love people where they are until we take a step to connect intentionally with them. Now listen, I know this stuff is difficult. Uh, I know our lives are busy. I remember uh, in week one, Donnie told us right off the bat, it's gonna be difficult to be a follower of Jesus. Last week, Brian said, there's gonna be times that we're not gonna wanna do what it is that scripture calls us into, but if we wanna experience this abundant life, we're gonna have to do that. Aren't we glad that when it was difficult for Jesus to, to leave the comfort of heaven and to come down here, that he still did it? Aren't we glad that when it was difficult for Jesus, and he said, Father, if, if there's any other way other than going to that cross and taking the penalty for their sins in this way, he was still willing to do what it took to make a way for us to connect back with God and for us to have healthy relationships with each other. Uh, I wanna tell you two quick stories. Uh, my wife and I, we have a friend named Jackie. Jackie's married, she has three kids. Uh, they have great jobs. They live in a half million dollar home in Cary. Okay, we've been friends with Jackie for a decade and a half. Great people. They would tell you, self-professing, we're not Christians. They just weren't. But we always hung out. We were still friends. Uh, we lived life together. They had the best Christmas parties every, I mean, the best Christmas party. I would skip church to go to these Christmas parties. Super good. Don't tell Mike, he's not here. But we go to these parties and we have a good time. And the truth is, I mean, I, I love to throw a good party anyway. So we're at these parties and inevitably by the end of the night, it would kind of end and like, you know, it's kind of the end of the night. Jackie's like, hey, everybody, this is Jason. He's, he's a pastor. Look, he's at the party. And yeah, this would be awkward. And so, she, but that was just our relationship. She would do that. Well, at some point within the last couple of years um, in their family, the wheels started falling off. Uh, I won't go into all the details. Husband said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to stick around. Uh, they lost the house. They kept the house, but they had to move out, go separate ways. She's no longer in the house. Jackie's kids started coming with our kids to Kid City Live on Friday nights. Did that for a series of months. And Jackie said, you know what? Maybe I should go with your family to uh, Kid City Live just to see what your kids are learning about. Okay, Jackie, that sounds great. Christmas time rolled around. Hey, Jackie, why don't you just come to Christmas Eve service? You know, everybody goes to Christmas Eve. Sure, I'll come to Christmas Eve service. Attendance started to be a little bit more regular, a little bit more regular. Easter came around. Attendance started to be a little more regular. One weekend, Pastor Mike shares the gospel. And uh, after the service, I have the opportunity to stay behind and to pray with Jackie to receive Christ. We've been, amen. Yeah, I mean, you can clap for that. She was here. She was here last night, and uh, she said, yeah, man, tell my story, whatever it means. We had the opportunity to baptize her right here at the Raleigh campus out back. Jackie's now serving in Kid City every single week. Her son, Sean, is serving in the tech team for Kid City. Two daughters are in Kid City every week here in the gospel. But she'll tell you, her life's a mess. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I have no idea what it means to be a Christian. I'm doing everything I can do to grow my relationship. Now, I trust that you trust my heart in telling you that story. Um, but we don't get it right all the time as a family either. We have another family that lives next to us on the other side of the family that I told you about. They have three daughters. They've lived there for five years since we have. Our kids play together all the time. Our kids have free reign in their backyard. They have a trampoline. Their daughters are in our backyard all the time up in the treehouse. I do the neighborly thing. We shake hands. We talk. How's life? What's going on? We know a little bit. Uh, I probably cut their grass a couple times. We have big cookouts. We'd invite them over. But in five years, we never one time had them in our house for dinner, just them. About two months ago, we recognized we hadn't seen his truck around for a while, but the kids are still playing together and everything. And so Diana texts um, the wife of the home because she's better than I am and reaches out and does that stuff. And sure enough, they were separated. And you know, there's more to that than I'll unpack, but man, they got three girls, three kids. 
And don't hear me teach you theology in what I'm about to say right now, okay? But what if God looked down some five or six years ago and said, okay, they're starting to have some marriage problems. What's something that we can do? Uh, let's, let's have a pastor move in next door, okay? That's what we can do. And I say we, get it? It's a, it's a call back to the Trinity at the beginning. So the Father said, they're talking. Yeah, sure, let's do that. And then God says, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a pastor. Why don't we have Pastor Mike move in next door? And the Holy Spirit says, no, for the love of God, don't have Pastor Mike move in next door. We've heard him talk about how he does marriage counseling. This is not... This is not something we want to do. And then Jesus says, hey, yeah, maybe we could get Donnie Peters to move in or Pastor Dave Lanuti at the Holly Springs campus. They're a lot like me. That would work out well. And then, you know, God said, well, no, Donnie's probably still at Saddleback and Dave's got to launch the Apex campus. So don't do that. So they said, you know what? Let's roll the dice on Jason. And so uh, we've lived there for five years. And I got to confess, you know, to you as my church, I don't know if I kept up my end of the deal. And uh, I, I don't tell you that. I don't carry guilt around. The Bible is very clear. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And I promise you, I've been forgiven for far more than that. So praise God. But church, every one of us have friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, that that is their story right now. And until we as the church take a step to connect intentionally with them, to show them God's love right where they are, we have no idea what's going to happen in their life. We have a responsibility as a church to love people where they are. When you came in, you got a connect card, okay? I want you to take that out, hold it up. We're gonna do a quick action step. On one side, it says connect intentionally. On the other side, there's a blank there. I want you to write the name right now of one person that you plan to connect intentionally with. Now, maybe it's someone that you need to connect with, with so they can encourage you, but maybe it's somebody that you need to connect with just for the opportunity to love them right where they are. And then on the card, there's some, some steps that you can do. It's just as simple as pray for them, invite them to lunch, invite them to dinner, ask them how their family's doing. But we wanna, we wanna make sure that we're intentional in our efforts to connect with other people and to build this community that Jesus would have us build around us. Can you imagine what it would be like for eight to 10,000 people in and around the triangle to actually live their life this way? I mean, as the church, right, as followers of Jesus, we would be so encouraged to live this winning life, this abundant life that Jesus came to set in motion. And then can you imagine the love that those who are far from God would feel in their life? Which is our strategy, by the way. We're not gonna reach the triangle by building a bunch of buildings hoping that two million people come to us. Our strategy, our plan is to actually encourage those who are here to then go out and be Jesus, love other people right where they are, not even caring if they ever step foot in one of our buildings, but just so that they will have an opportunity to experience the love of God and the gospel that's ultimately gonna bring them the life that they were created for. That is abundant life. We're gonna hashtag win in life when we connect intentionally with others in community. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for scripture. Thank you for your word that we can actually look to that and, and see how it is that we were created, that we can identify that there's um, a way that we were put together um, or that shows us that we were made to connect with other people and to help us understand what's going on when we don't have that in our lives. God, I also wanna thank you that when we were disconnected from each other, when we were disconnected from you, you made a way for us to enter back into a relationship with you and healthy relationships with each other um, through the gospel, through your son, Jesus. And I also wanna pray for anybody who is in this room or at any of our campuses or watching online, God, that feels disconnected 
that knows that there's something missing in their lives, Lord, would they recognize that you have a plan for them in their lives and it's not to feel alone, but it's to to be connected with others who wanna love them and to show them the love that you have for them and to experience maybe for the first time a true relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.